All right, let me just find Hebrews. You don't need to. I do. It's behind me. Okay, can you hear me? Right, thanks for having me. Uh, nothing makes me more physically sick than coming to preach here. Um, but I would do nothing else as well. But it's my old haunt and it's so special to me. Um, so I'm nervous. Uh, but it's good to be here. So thank you for having me. Okay, now you should all be looking at Hebrews 12. And uh, let's start with a question then. Um, everything okay? Shall we wait? Okay. All right. Here's a question then. Uh, who's the best preacher of the 20th century? <laughs> well, one of them, in my opinion, and I don't think Alan shares his opinion, but one of them, I think, was Albert N. Martin, the American preacher, Al Martin. Um, he takes too long to say things for Alan, you know. You know what Alan's like, don't you? But he's really good when you get there. Um, anyway, his wife died. In 2004 and he wrote a book about now a pamphlet about dying as a Christian so I've nicked his three headings so I'm giving credit to him that's all I've nicked um, but they're so good that is Al so when it gets right professional sounding we're on Al when it gets back to normal sounding it's me um, okay now Someone I know um, died not too long ago, hence this message. Uh, she was my friend, and she was called Meyer, okay? Do you know people that have died? Do you know Christians that have died? Right. Meyer was a Christian, and she died in October, 19th of October, 2015, at 6 o'clock in the morning, and Meyer was 92 years old. So a good innings. Um, right. What happened the second after she breathed her last? Do you know? Next question. Do you know what happened the second the Christians that you know died? What happened the second after they died? Do you know what happened to them? Do you know what happened to them? I do. I'm going to tell you. If you're a Christian, do you know what will happen to you the second after you die? Because I do. I'm going to tell you. If you're not a Christian, do you know what you're missing out on? Because I do. And I'm going to tell you. And I hope you get so jealous you become a Christian. Um, right. Next question to keep us awake. It's quite hot. Um, can you describe a fool? What's a fool? Now, we spoke about Terry Charles this morning who taught me P.E. He used to call me a fool, the class clown, the naughty boy, and he was right, okay? But really, and I would say this to Terry politely if I saw him now, a real fool is someone who can't say for sure that they know What's going to happen to them the second after they die? Isn't it? That's more of a fool than the class clown. Though I take his point, I was a fool. Now, you can't put this off with busyness or with just doing churchy stuff. 
that you are all appointed once to die. Right, it's coming, unless the Lord comes first. All right? So welcome to the message. Uh, so from now on, when I say Meyer, you insert your name if you're a Christian, or the name of some loved one who's a Christian who's about to die, or someone that you loved and you miss and they're a Christian, you stick their name in there. That's what you've got to do. If you're not a Christian, you just leave it awkwardly blank until you come to Christ tonight. Um, I'm tempted not to call it death because, you know, the New Testament calls it falling asleep. So call it what you want. All right, so here we go. Now, to understand what happens to Meyer or to you or to the loved ones in your mind, you need to understand really what death is. But to understand what death is, you need to start with what life is. So that's where we're starting. Okay? Now, Idris may disagree with me medically here, but um, I think I'm right because I'm using the Bible to describe what it is to be alive. Now, you sitting in front of me are made up of two parts according to the Bible. Two parts. Your one part is your body. Yes? You have red t-shirts on it, pink t-shirts on it, uh, Mickey Mouse t-shirts on your body. And the other half that is making you up, or the other part, we should say, is your soul. And the Bible uses the term spirit and soul interchangeably in the Bible when it's describing the soul. Apart from once in 1 Thessalonians 5, but good scholars will tell you they're saying the same thing there as well. So spirit and soul, same thing, and body. And when that comes together, you are alive. Right. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All right? Now, to die is the separation of those two parts. At 6 a.m., October 15th, I think it was 19th, that's what happened to Maya. Okay? James 2.26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Uh, Luke 23.46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Next question. How do we feel when that separation happens to someone that we love or care about? The answer, unless you are weird, or unless you are trying to be more holy than God, is really sad, isn't it? Why? Because death is not a natural part of life, contrary to what I was taught in school. Christians are not supposed to just suck it up and accept death as natural. Old age, as I read my Bible, and death are unnatural. They were never meant to be. You hear the term, the writing is on the wall. Well, I am told, as you get older, the writing 
becomes on your hands. And if you look, you get these little brown marks, and they are called grave flowers, the signs of aging. Um, your hair will start to turn or fall away. Um, your skin isn't what it was when it was little. Um, it sags. In a very real way, our lives are cursed and decaying. Okay? And the Bible says, contrary to what I was told in school again, we are heading to the grave and getting white hair or gray flowers because of sin. And death is sin's marriage partner and it's coming to get us. And uh, you remember 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy is death. And so for Meyer, she was a Christian. Satan had no hold on her, but death did. And it's got her body, and it's in the grave in Ogmore Vale as we speak. It's quite sobering, isn't it? When you put a loved one in a box in the ground. I am told that Lloyd-Jones preached in Swansea uh, at the funeral of a famous boxer, and he said, this is the final knockout. It gets us all. So I say again now with clarity, so you get how personal it is. Sin and its marriage partner, death, are a crouching enemy, and they are hiding at your door and mine. Do you believe it? Um, and it's God's divinely appointed punishment for our sin and the sin of the world. Now, do you believe that bit? So let's just pause and hammer home the seriousness of sin. Make no mistake about it. As um, the schools and the BBC News and the culture and your friends and your neighbor and your granny call it other things, any and every sin before a holy God is so evil that it deserves death, the sins of the day. And it might be forgotten in the West, but your body is preaching a message to you. As you look in the mirror year by year, God takes sin really seriously. We prayed for the children at camps, and I got a little boy, two little boys. They are decaying, and it's because of sin. And a righteous God hates sin and has cursed the planet because of sin. And Meyer died unnaturally at 6 a.m. in the morning. And some of you might be dead by the end of the year or the end of the day. I am told that America has an annual national day of prayer. And the last time that the word sin was mentioned in that famous prayer was in 1953 by President Eisenhower. And he only said it because he was quoting Abraham Lincoln from 1863. Do you notice that uh, people no longer commit adultery? They have an affair. You notice that? Um, they die because of adultery. Um, corporate executives no longer steal, they commit fraud. It's just a slight, slight watering down, isn't it? 
Um, like, we no longer gossip now. We, like, prayerfully talk about people. Yeah, whatever. We're sinners. Oh, sin. And your body is preaching tonight. I have a bad... Ba I'm 30 years old. No, I'm not. I'm 31 years old. And my back hurts. It's hurt me for seven years. My body's preaching. Gossip. Uh, criticism. The nasty type. Harbored resentment. Impatience at home with your loved ones. Selfish acts. Failure to trust God. Succumbing to materialism instead of to Christ. Idolizing something instead of the Lord. It leads us somewhere. Um, by nature, we are in sin and cut off from God. And God is life. Do you see? So I urge you, because I don't really know where you stand spiritually anymore. There's a few new faces here. I urge you, run from sin. Uh, its end is horrific. And every and each unforgiven sin in your lives will lead you to the judge who will destroy you both body and soul forever. Such is the seriousness of sin. Now, if I read the tears of Jesus right as he cries over Jerusalem, he would have gathered them. He does not want any of you to remain in sin and death tonight. He doesn't want it for the children of the camp. He doesn't want it for the people here this morning who heard the gospel. Now, are you hiding in the one who took death upon himself on the cross? And the righteous anger of God fell on him. And he was cursed. And he took the sting out of death. Ask yourself now, are you hiding in Jesus? Your biggest need is for peace. It's not for a boyfriend. It's not for a girlfriend. It's not for the kind of peace you get as you stand on Town Hill and look out at the sea. It's peace with God. And that this problem of death is dealt with because Christ died so that we may live. Are you at peace? Peace. You can go to sleep tonight. Peaceful. If I die at night from a heart attack or something, I'm okay. Is that you? So with that done, you're like, this is going to be the biggest sermon ever. No, it's not. Um, with that done, we come back to the question then. That's life. That's why you die. Why we die. What happens to the one who dies in Christ? Uh, straight away, while the bed is still warm, uh, and you're tidying up, because it's your privilege to tidy up the bed linen of a loved one that's died, while it's still warm and there's color in their cheeks, what are they doing? Uh, the intermediate stage before the final resurrection, when they get the body back, what are they doing now? Okay, Meyer, what are you doing? And here we hand over to Al Martin. Point number one. They are immediately made perfect in moral likeness to Christ. In Owen words, her soul was made sinless. They are immediately made perfect in moral likeness to Christ. Now let me make a little case for you here. Back to me. In Romans 8.29, it says this. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay? That's saying a Christian is predestined to become like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. Okay? Now, here's the other part of my case-building case. Um, the second verse, as we kind of figure out what's happening to Meyer, is up there. Okay? And it's verse uh, 23. Yeah, 23. Now, this is about what Old Testament saints who have died are experiencing now is also about what people like Meyer are experiencing now, but it's also about what we are experiencing now while we're still alive. But we're only sort of half experiencing it, legally experiencing it, and occasionally experientially experiencing it, but the people that have died are getting the full whack of it. Okay? That's the context. And let us uh, just read the verse. 22 and 23. You look up there. I'll look down here. But you, see, he's talking to people who are alive. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now note a few things. Focus. Verse 22, note the perfect present tense. You have come. When did you become a Christian? Okay. You have come. It has happened. Not later, the resurrection. You have come. Where have we come, writer of the Hebrews? to a heavenly experience, which we're not fully enjoying yet because we're not there yet, but it has happened. We have moments of it. Where have we come? To those in this Zion who are called to the spirits of the just ones made perfect. That means their justness before God has been completed and made perfect. Right, bear with me. Their justness is finished. Right, you're like, what, Owen? Okay, let me explain. In 1947, was anybody alive here in 1947? <laughs> Some sheepish nods. In 1947, Meyer became a Christian because they had a campaign in Nantumoil just up the road from her house. All right, so she became a Christian in 1947. And she was, that second, pronounced righteous by God, legally. Justified, dikaio, justified, right. And then, remember the Romans verse, from that second on, she has been predestined to become like Jesus. That happened in 1947. When did your journey begin? To become like Jesus. Mine was 2004. Right. So, from 1947 onwards, like, she would grow spiritually, and it takes sweat, doesn't it? And we call it sanctification, and putting to death the deeds of the flesh. 
And we're absolutely rubbish at it, aren't we? Yeah. Right. And Maya was rubbish at it. Trust me. I knew her. She was a sinner. She had a long way to go before she was fully like Jesus, like you and like me. You know, churchy people, we got a long way to go. But Hebrews 12 indicates this. At six o'clock in the morning, at the moment of her death, that journey was made complete. Let me quote Al Martin here. In that instance, his divine grace of sanctification accomplished more in a millisecond than in a lifetime of hard-fought sanctification. The job was done and she stepped out of Ogmore Vale and into an ocean of sanctifying grace and her sins, not in part but the whole, were gone, not just legally. Her justness was complete. She was washed totally. No more unkind thoughts for Meyer, and she had them. No more second-guessing people in church and all the shame of that and the pride in our hearts. God, now fully like Christ. The journey is done. Listen to this. No need for repentance anymore. You remember in Isaiah 6 when he saw the Lord, he's like, oh, I'm undone. I can't. Not for my. No reason to hide. She was released. To enjoy him forever, no more sin. And if you're a Christian, and you're a sinner, and we all are, he has pledged he is going to do it to you as well. Isn't it? Hallelujah. Because at death, at my funeral, right, we grieved and we cried, but we did not despair. Because she gained, when she died, more than we lost. We lost Maya. We miss her. But she gained so much more. Um, we think of what she's gained more than we've lost when we think of our loved ones who died. Um, Toza's daughter at his funeral said, I'm not going to cry too much because Dad's waited his whole life for this moment. Meyer is made perfect. And because of that, there's another thing. She is now fully conscious of his presence. Um, now, you Christians, have you known moments where Jesus comes near to you? Yeah? Okay, right, there's nothing better, is there? Like, I like my wife's company. I like my son's company. I like my dog's company. Oh, but when Jesus comes near, he's better than my wife, isn't it? He's better than your husband. And eternal life is knowing God. It's started now. And uh, like you non-Christians, I don't know if there's any non-Christians in the room. When Jesus comes near, for us, there's nothing better. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because my wife hasn't seen me at my worst, but Jesus has. And he still loves me. Like, what a friend we have in Jesus. 
And sometimes he comes close and it's just great. Um, when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And that's your story, isn't it? He hung on the cross for me. And I have days where I stuff up and I think, uh-oh, is he finished with me now? And the answer is no. And I boast in the cross because the cross shows me that he knew I was going to be messy and sinful even after conversion. And yet he still died for me. And he is not finished with me yet. And he says this, no court on heaven or earth condemns you. I was condemned for you, and you are mine. And when he comes near, it's just the best. And if you're not a Christian, like, this probably means nothing to you. And all I can do is pray that your affections will change and that you'll see that he's better than your sin. I will be praying for you. But listen, for Paul... He was weighing up, oh, is it better to be in heaven or on earth? In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, for we're always confident, knowing that while we're at home in Ogmore Vale, in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by, uh, by sight. We are confident, yeah, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. For Maya, in one sense, she was absent from the Lord in Ogmore Vale. In one sense, we're absent from the Lord tonight in church. In one sense. Um, but, uh, and he comes close sometimes, right? But listen, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's like those little moments, but just better forever. So she's not drugged. She's not drowsy. She's more alive than ever with her best friend. Uh, D.L. Moody said, uh, when they say that I'm dead at my funeral, don't believe it for a second. I'll be more alive than ever. Why? She gets more of her best friend with her, her God and her Savior. Johnny Erickson, I think I quote this in every sermon I preach. She says, at the moment when I can finally wipe away my own eyes, I won't have to because he'll do it for me. Such amazing news. The Lord wanted my, he wanted her company. And uh, he died to get her company. Uh, John 17, listen, Father, and put your name in. I desire that they also who you gave me may be with me where I am. That's what I want. That they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Right, so here's a question. If I want my in my church in Ogmore Vale, but Jesus wants her in heaven, who's going to win that argument? Jesus won that argument on the 19th of October, 2015. His prayer was answered. Father, I desire that the Christians in this church and Owen's church will be with me where I am. I died for that. Some of you might die for someone you like, but Jesus literally died for sinners. Um, if, how can I say I want the best for my, if I want to back in Ogmore Vale with us? Uh, right, let's wrap all this up. 
There's one more thing. Uh, short. Because of all that, there's another thing she's doing, and it's there. She is enjoying him with other <coughs> blood-washed, saved sinners, too. Now, each one of you in your seats needs to have individualistic, personal dealings with Christ. But you are not called for a life of individualism. You are saved into a group, a family, the church. Okay? Meyer has been called to the spirits, plural, of just men made perfect. Now, I'm going to sound a bit twee as we bring all this together, but I'm willing to risk it. Um, think of uh, the lovely things of your Christian friends that have died, the lovely things you loved about them, where the graces of God came through them. And uh, think about those moments where your fellowship in church with other people has been like heaven on earth. Just think about that for a minute, okay? You know those moments where you just can't help but like hug someone. Uh, you're just so close in fellowship. Those moments, right? Okay, that's heaven now. A sinless unity of glorified spirits having untarnished fellowship together. All ill will and suspicion gone. The whole body of Christ together. Um, now, Meyer loves Spurgeon's daily readings, morning and evening. And dare I say, she gave Spurgeon a big hug. Thank you for the morning and evening. It made me love Jesus more, Mr. Spurgeon. Let's praise him together. And maybe gave him a hug. Well, maybe not yet, because they haven't got their bodies back yet. I'm going to tell William Cooper, hey, mate, uh, I named my email address after you, because you were a depressant, and you love Jesus. And now I read your hymns, and I'm a bit of a depressant, and you've helped me love him more. Right, you'd be like, what's an email? You know, I died in 17, you know, 1800. Uh, don't worry about that, William. Right. Fully sanctified friendships. Doing what as we close? Saying in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And so we end. What do we do in the meantime? We remember that the last enemy is coming. Cancer, a car crash may be its tool. And we hate it, sin. But we sing with conviction in our hearts. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, thy victory. And we boast in the cross. And we remember... For this church, death is beaten in Christ. And all it can do now is chase us up to be in the presence of Jesus and the church. Cancer, old age, chase me away to a better place.
in a very real sense, the one who keeps his word and is saved shall never see death. A friend of mine died of cancer. He was 22 years old. The doctor told him, he was a Christian, the doctor told him there's nothing we can do. And he said, it's all right. Because it is all right. We praise thee, O God, for the son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us, Lord, again. For his name's sake, amen. We're going to close by singing prayer. How deep good the Father's love for us.